Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam with Nick and Keith. And uh, guys, feels like the Leafs are getting things rolling here a little bit, heading towards the postseason. At least certain guys are. A quick question to start things off. 15 shots in one game. Is that good? <laughs> well, considering that the, the team he did that against gave up a total of, I believe, 16 shots uh, to the entire team that they played in their previous game i'd say yeah pretty good yeah not a not a bad outing for austin matthews saturday night against the uh, the hurricanes what um, do they have like a 99 percent expected goals in that game i know like making too much of a single game expected goal sample is, is i think that was uh i think that was sunday night oh, okay either um, way the matthews matthews yarn croak yeah they had 99 percent <laughs> Insane, but it just kind of illustrates what Cam was saying that it's it's feeling more like Austin is back, and no no more important player to have rolling now for them at this point of the year. Like you talk about getting hot at the right time, going into the playoffs and all that stuff. Like there's apart yeah. from maybe a goaltender doing it, there, there's no one more impactful player that that you could have going. And since the news kind of came out and this, you know, the silence and secrecy was kind of broken around you know him having a bit of a nagging injury all year obviously that coincided with him feeling healthy and he's looked like heart heart winning you know austin matthews as opposed to like he's been great all year um you know good to great um but he's now taken that that extra step well i don't think that through the early part of the season you know we've grown really accustomed over the last couple of years or the the last what six seven years now six seven years crazy to think that it's been that long but We've really grown accustomed to watching Austin Matthews just dominate entire games. And I don't think we've really seen that at all this season. And if we have, it's been, you know, in flashes or more sporadic rather than consistent. But it looks a lot like he's getting that consistency back over these last couple of weeks. And it seems like he's just building up more and more as we get closer to the postseason. So that's a really exciting thing. Yeah. And it's the the big flashes are like more sustained and more frequent and that's that's yeah. just what you want to see it's like every time that he kind of like he might take a shot it gets stopped and then he kind of loops around and he goes off screen like i almost hear the fucking jaws music in my head, right? <laughs> yeah. like like and, and that's fully back now yeah no he's definitely looking like that dominant well we, we've seen the the 200 foot dominance in a bit of a different way this year i think he, his impact on the defensive side of the puck has been really really pronounced this year even more so than in years past but now he's starting to couple that with the the dominant offensive showings and like again 15 shots on goal in one game for a guy it's just it's not something that we see done very often and there's only a handful of guys i think in the league who would be even capable uh, of pulling off something like that so yeah it's just it's really great to see matthews getting back to to that form again and just in time yeah and and I think like we, you know, saying, saying a lot of the same thing over again, but like all, all throughout the year, I think he was just doing a lot of, a lot of little things well. And I think, you know, he's just now starting to add that stuff that he was doing last year, which is taking, not just last year, but you know, more pronounced last year, but just taking over games for large stretches where he just, he see, it seems like a foregone conclusion when he gets going like that, that he's going to score at least one and it's potentially two. And he just looks dangerous every time he's on the ice. My question for you guys is, do you think that there's any element of that that was like a conscious thing? Obviously, like, I don't think any of us would believe that a player is going out there at any point in an NHL season and not trying. But do you think there's any element of him just, you know, it, we've talked about it already. He's not he's not stat chasing. He, he's yeah. trying to, to play the right way. And now it, it almost seems like he's just ramping up and it, it just looks like he's gearing up and dialing everything in just ahead of the playoffs. And I'm just wondering if you guys think there's any element of conscious thought to that, just that he's kind of, you know, t- just pushing the, the pedal to the floor a little harder now that we're getting closer to this play up, playoff season. Well, before I knew before, before the injury was like, you know, talked about. Yeah. I think I did think that like, I think, or at least that was kind of the, the saving grace in it was like, yeah, he's, you know, he might not even get 40 this year, you know, 50 is definitely not going to happen. But if he turns it on at the end of the year, who gives a shit? Like that's always been kind of the, 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 at least the hope of it. Um, so well, there's, that, there's two sides to that coin, right? If he goes out and scores 60 this year and they get bounced in the first round again, no one's going to himself get, out doing it. Yeah. yeah and no one's going to give a shit about him scoring 60. And conversely, if he scores 35 this year, or if he had only scored 35 this year, 
but the Leafs make a trip to the conference finals. Do you think anyone's going to be criticizing him for only scoring 35 no. goals in the regular season? No. So, it, it, you know, this is kind of a theme of this show and theme of being a Leafs fan in, uh, in the last number of years, but it really all comes down to the playoffs and nothing else really matters up to then. But I do think there was an element of, again, like setting aside the injury, but if you just look at it like, hey, I'm going to go work on other parts of my game for throughout the year and, you know, yeah. try to become a better 200-foot player and try to, you know, he came out of the gate being extremely physical and then that kind of went away. Like, he was yeah. running guys like crazy at the beginning of the year. And then it, now it's the shot blocking and it's all these things that, you know, maybe weren't there to the extent that they were now. And now that it's crunch time, he turns it on. Again, I think it could be a part of that and then obviously if you you know if you get a bum wrist it's kind of hard to have the shot that, yeah. the shot that he has and that he wins with but yeah so maybe it's just all coming together at, at the right time you know he's feeling healthy he's you know ramping up his own you know level of detail or overall performance heading into the playoffs uh yeah it seems like it's just really all coming together for him and i think that will be a big part of it all coming together for the the team as a whole and just feeling better in general right like if you know if, if yeah. that's been nagging like if if he is it, like it, it almost made me think like the fact that he was talking about it makes me think that it's over it's yeah he, he he's kind of on the other side of it now yeah um, well obviously because no one heard anything about it while it was going on right so yeah exactly and um and you know it, like it's going to be an awfully easy thing to retcon here if he just keeps humming along here down the stretch and and it's not <laughs> yeah. going to matter if if you know things don't go well in the playoffs ultimately but um yeah it, it'll be awfully easy to just kind of buy into that narrative that yeah he was just kind of waiting to ramp up took a quick look like averaging close to six shots a game over the last dozen games basically throughout the month of march uh he has been yeah. rolling so um and and you know finding a nice fit there as well keith would you like to take your victory lap now <laughs> or, or do you want to wait for cali to, to pot those last couple of goals no i think i mean i don't want to i don't want to jinx anything with this hockey team for god's sakes who knows so i'm, I'm not gonna No, but you got to take your victory lap now though because i'm thinking back to the, the preseason prediction episode and i don't think we're going to want to talk about too many of the other predictions <laughs> yeah, that so were made. Just gonna so, so you better the, take that, lap that concept and just do it now <laughs> yeah i mean i don't it, like uh, what you look at it and it was really just saying this guy's played on not great offensive teams his entire career and he scored 15 goals and he's going to come here and most guys seem to kind of ramp up their production and come here for you know what's nice is that they got him for more than a year because what would he be you know he's not going for 2.1 if he's a free agent this year so you know typically you kind of see guys what you do this on their expiring deal with toronto and then become uh, become free agents and price themselves out and go on elsewhere to Vancouver usually or Edmonton. But um, yeah, I, it seems like a foregone conclusion now 20, 20 goals is going to happen. And I, I, I'll admit like, you know, not, not wasn't an expert on Cali Aaron by any stretch of the imagination. His shot is like, if you he, like, he's got that, they, they worked that like low to high one timer to him. That's yeah. fucking lethal. Uh, anytime you see Yaron Croak alone, and anywhere in that horseshoe area yeah yeah he really finds space in there in in like tight windows yeah he's good at that little bit of like a a fade away from the defender at the right moment like that little kick out play just to to create that little extra bit of space and you know for a guy like him playing with two insanely talented superstar forwards in austin matthews and mitch marner it's just you know it's a bit of the same story that we've talked about with Zach Hyman in the past and, and Michael Bunting a little more recently. It's just being able to have the the mental capacity to to play along with those guys. And I think you know with each passing game, Yaron Croak has has definitely shown that. And I think you could say Alex Kerfoot has a bit of that too. But what he doesn't have is the ability to put the puck in the net. You know the last couple of games notwithstanding. Right. Uh, but but you know you you have Yaron Croak in that position with his shooting ability, the numbers are going to come. And the great thing about it is he also has that defensive conscience. So you're, you're just layering that on top of the, the strong defensive play from Matthews and Marner. And then that kind of turns into a line that can do basically anything you ask of them. You can stick them in the defensive zone, or you can obviously, you know, load them up for uh, an offensive zone start. And chances are, they're going to 
kind of keep the ice tilted that way and sustain some sort of possession in the offensive zone. So, yeah, I'm really liking that group, and I think it's looking more and more like that's what's going to stick heading into the playoffs. Yeah, and it's important to note that, like, you know, the the this is coinciding with Matthews taking off, too. Like, we're getting the best version. Yeah. But, but it does, ultimately, it doesn't matter. Like, if, if it's happening, it's happening. You know, the reasons behind yeah. it don't need to necessarily be, you know, microscoped to death. But, like... No, like with that being said, and and the fact that we are seeing Kerfoot, you know, become a little bit more impactful in the game, um, even even with the goals, not you know, the goals are starting to come now, but like he's looked good lately. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, we've been saying this for a few weeks, right? Even when everyone, it's been a bit of a slow burn. Like it wasn't an overnight thing. He's been kind of finding his game and finding ways to impact the game, even if the puck wasn't going in the net. But does this, like, does this mean that, like? Are we looking at Bunting, O'Reilly, and like Lafferty as the third line then? Like, does that, what, not to kind of, I don't know if we're getting into lineup construction or anything, not to derail the, the flow here, but like, does that, it, it, it has the, like an interesting kind of makeup to me. Um, it'll, it kind of allows Bunting to really kind of embrace his kind of shithead yeah. type of play, mucking it up. That's kind of what I liked about the the group that they threw out there on Sunday night when it was, it was Bunting, Achari, and Lafferty, I believe. Yeah. It, it, like, that seems like a line that could have a moment or two in the playoffs, right? Quote, so, unquote, play, like a playoff type of line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I do wonder about, you know, where that leaves that other wing spot in the top six, you know, are you holding that for Matthew Nyes or are you going back to Alex Kerfoot there? Um, You know, I I think a lot of that will be decided by how each of those guys performs in the final few games of the season. But again, kind of like we were talking about with Matthews, it seems like all, you know, obviously to a, a much lesser degree and, uh, a lot less significant than Matthews finding it, but to have Alex Kerfoot kind of ramping up his game at this time of year as well, and now for him to start, you know, feeling good along with that as a couple pucks start to find twine for him, maybe he does end up starting the postseason in that top six spot, and it allows you to give O'Reilly. Well, and we <laughs> again, we don't even know exactly where O'Reilly's going to be slotting. This is just assuming that they're going to start him at three C. You kind of give him a weapon uh, on that line if you're if you're going to have bunting playing in the bottom six. So I, I think it's definitely an intriguing option. Yeah. Uh, O'Reilly uh, skating now, right? Not with the team, but apparently yeah. not ruled out for this week. Out before practice. Yeah. Um, so we'll see on that. Presumably he'll need a, a practice or two to kind of get up to speed, but um, could see him soon. And a uh, cherry day to day, right? We're not, not expected to see him against Florida again. He got up slow or something on Sunday night. I remember it was a he got hit and hopefully it's just a minor thing right you know he he just missed a game with the i I think that was just a an abundance of caution after taking a bit of a a shot to the head um the games are all starting to blend together now i I know recall yeah let's get the the that's kind of why that's kind of why i trailed off into nothing there because i was like what the the fuck what what am i even talking about i can't even remember now (laughs) (laughs) no but achari has already uh missed a game uh well basically two games because he left the one that the injury occurred in with, with that uh, just kind of being cautious with it with a suspected head injury so hopefully it's nothing like that and it, it's just a short-term thing and they're just you know a, again being cautious and it, it's not going to be anything that keeps him out of the lineup for any significant length of time uh, eric gustafson's also away from the team for personal reasons uh, I, I haven't heard anything else on on that um but Ilya Samsonov returned to the team today as well uh sending Joe Wall back down to the Marlies how good was Joey Wall on Sunday night yeah oh man yeah he 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 was really good um yeah that that's an interesting conversation to have about the goaltending because um you know it's 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 been up and down it's you know you've had games where like Murray or Samsonov have like looked good but you know still given up four or five or whatever and it's it's um it's still kind of a muddled mess a little bit as as we're getting into the, down the stretch here it's it's muddled in the way that like you know it's I actually I don't even like I, it's hard to say really. Like, I, I don't envy Keith. That's what I'll say. Like I like having to make that call, yeah, yeah. and not even like for game one. It's more for like if you lose game one. That's exactly what it's gonna. That's that was what I was trying to get out there. Is like I think it's no debate. Ilya Samsonov has the has game one, but how much of a leash does he give? Like how fair is it to him if he if he lets in 
you know, four goals in game one and they lose four, three that you just, what you just immediately go to Murray. Like, I feel like that's the part that makes it tough is because you don't have that clear cut number one goalie. You kind of are in that, that predicament and that option's always on the table in a way that it's not. If you know, you just have a, a stud if you're and a or Shesterkin or somebody. Yeah, exactly. exactly. What it comes down to for me is, is just kind of looking beyond the Tampa Bay series. I think. Oh, good. Let's do that. And where, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Fool me once. Um, anyway, if this team is going to go on any kind of playoff run or make it beyond the first round and, and you know try to rack up a couple of series wins, it's hard to believe that they're not going to need both goaltenders anyway. So I, I don't really have as much of a problem with trying to delegate that for the opening round series because I, I, I just think that the, the nature of their goaltending situation is that they're a tandem. And I think that's how they're going to have to continue to operate in the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you guys. I definitely don't envy Sheldon Keefe having to make that decision or, you know, having to decide when to, to pull that, that shoot, <laughs> so to speak. But with Joey Wall, I, I mean, I don't think anyone expects him to, to factor into the discussion for playing time in the playoffs. But you know, we're looking at a couple of goaltenders in the Leafs crease who have had their share of injury troubles, who have both had their fair of strug- uh, fair share of struggles over the years. I think at least what Wall has done has, for me at least, has provided a level of comfort where if he did have to go in for a playoff game, you know, say Murray gets hurt and Samsonov gets lit up, like even if he's going in in relief. I feel so much better about him as the third goaltender and him being able to give you a chance to win even in a playoff setting than you know any goaltender that the Leafs have had beyond their starter for the last number of years. I'm talking not just third guys, but the backups. You know, you're looking at Michael Hutchinson, Curtis McElhaney, who you know was mostly very good during his time in Toronto as the backup. But I just it, Joey Wall is starting to look an awful lot like an NHL goaltender, and I, I just I think it just provides an extra layer of comfort in such an uncertain goaltending situation for Sheldon Keefe. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be a chance that there's a couple of injuries in the playoffs, and, and that's was the biggest reason why I was anti picking up a trade deadline acquisition in the in net, and it wasn't because I had this incredible you know, confidence in, in Joe wall and like, which I, you know, I'm starting to, to grow towards, but it's more just like, I don't think Joe wall gets in unless there's two injuries that you're not, that's, that's rare that both guys are going to get injured. It's possible, but it's not worth spending a, you know, any kind of acquisition price on when you don't have that much to begin. Fair, but say one of the goaltenders does get injured prior to the playoffs or early in round one. How much of a leash do you have for the other guy before you turn to Wall? Like this is a do or die season. They can't be beholden to to anything other than what gives them the best chance to win, right? So I, I don't I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that we see this guy get in in the postseason if if some of those things start to you know not fall the Leafs' way. I could be wrong, but I just I don't see Keith going to Wall for any other reason. Like I think. Unless, you know, I, I I mean, there's 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 reasons, right? Like, I mean, if if it's Murray or Samsonov and one of them lets in, you know, five goals for three games. But then I th- this was actually a topic on Overdrive the other day. And, and then it's like, are you going to go to the kid back against the ropes in a, you know, with your season on the line? Or wouldn't you feel more comfortable going with the guy, you know, that's been there before kind of thing? So it's an interesting I, I, conversation. I think a lot of it but, would depend on the actual optics of it. You know, like if, say, the, the Leafs start, Ilya Samsonov in game one and they win, but he gets hurt in the process and they go out and they lose games two and three with Matt Murray, not looking awesome. Like, I think it definitely becomes a conversation at that point. Oh, yeah. It'll be a loud one <laughs> in that oh, yeah. situation. Everything's a conversation in Toronto, but like I, I just don't – I don't know. I don't see it. I, I feel like they would just stick with the guys that they that they brought in type of thing. I think it's it's highly unlikely, but I, I – again, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Like we're talking about a guy who's got a 930 save percentage in 19 AHL games this year. He's got a 934 – in his, you know, very limited four-game sample size in the NHL this year. But, you know, every box that has been thrown in front of him, he's checked it off so far. So 
I just think, you know, in a season with such high stakes where, you know, everyone knows that this is it, last dance kind of vibes. Yeah. I just I just don't think that there is going to be a long leash for for either one of the the goaltenders, and if injuries kind of get in that mix as well, uh, I think there's a chance. And just kind of circling back uh, on my original point, bringing up Wall in the first place is I just think that I, I wouldn't be completely shitting myself if Joe Wall had to start a playoff game for the that's Leafs. That's totally and, fair take. Well, that's yeah. that's exactly it, right? Because you look at, like, I, I think that you certainly feel better both as a fan base and as, like, a management and coaching group about Wall than you did, would have about, like, Michael Hutchinson or even Shawgren or whatever, right? Like, yeah. it's going to take a, a remarkable circumstance for that to even be on the table. But, like, you know, maybe he, he just kind of gives you a, a little bit more uh, – a palatability of kind of making that move than than another guy would even if it is you know again takes a, a huge circumstance just to get you there which should probably yeah that, that's probably how i should have framed it <laughs> rather than you know the, the debate that keith and i just had <laughs> anyway <laughs> it's crazy that we have like i get it and i'm not saying we you know we're we're out of line for d- talking about it but like I think I saw something the other day saying they were like fourth in the league and goals saved above expected and, and we're still having a goaltending conversation. Like goaltending yeah. has been very I, good this year, like extremely good, especially for going into the season. There being an awful lot of noise about it being the downfall of the team. You know, it's been remarkably good. It's just the fact that I think it's maybe the first time that we've dealt with like a true tandem. And we, I don't know, like what, why is it that, there's still this conversation is just because there is no like clear cut guy. Like we went, you know, we've, we've, we've had, we had Freddie for five years and then Jack, it was Jack's net. And now it's kind of like, it could go either way kind of thing. From where I'm standing, there is a guy though. And I think most people would it agree is. that it's it, not it's, fair to Samsonov that it isn't all he's done is play yeah. good this year. I, I think it's just, it's more about at this point, trying to get Murray, the reps that he's missed out on throughout the course of the year. So that like, if you do have to turn to him, he's not coming in completely cold, you know, or like yeah. having sat behind Samsonov for a month, uh, playing one game over that time or whatever. I, I just think at this point it would be really, really difficult. Or you know, Samsonov would have to to really, really sputter in these final eight games here to to lose that spot. I think that the only thing that I'd be more surprised by than like Samsonov not being the game one starter would be if we don't see both of them at some point during the first round yeah like i I, I think that we're seeing both either way yeah um wanted to talk a little bit about the blue line here too because um seeing just a little more stability there now um seems like they've settled on at least maybe a a couple of pairings um nick what are your your thoughts on kind of how the blue line has looked uh the last few games kind of feels like uh, timothy lilligren is 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 uh, not going to be part of the playoff lineup, and I know that I've you know been against that in the the past few episodes. Uh, hard hard to argue with it the way he's been playing here the last little yeah. bit, uh, kind of finding himself on the outside looking in here. Yeah, well, I, I think you know I, I said it on Twitter the other day. Lilligren's had an outstanding season. There, there's no real debate there, right? Like I, I think he's shown a lot this year in terms of you know, what the Leafs can pencil him in for in the future. But we're talking about right now. And over these last couple of weeks, I just think there's been way too many glaring errors with the puck where it, it just seems like he's overthinking things or he's overhandling the puck. And, and it's just, they're really egregious turnovers and bad spots that you just straight up can't have. And I, I think that's kind of what's led to him kind of playing his way out of the lineup over the last little bit and and getting to the group of guys that have been in the lineup or were in the lineup on Sunday night. What really stood out to me in that Predators game was like just how physical the, the blue line in particular was. It seemed like they were taking every available opportunity to try and punish Nashville's forwards. And like that matters, man, especially when you're going into what you expect to be, you know, a very difficult and most likely long series that there's a residual effect that comes along with that stuff. It's, it's fun to watch it just in an isolated game uh, against uh, a Western conference opponent that, you know, we're going to have nothing to do with when the games really start to matter. Hell, they're not even going to be playing when the games really start to matter most likely. But when you're talking about getting into the postseason and having Luke Shen just squishing you 
against the wall every time that you try to get around him on a cycle. Or you have Jake McCabe stepping up to smother a passing option in the neutral zone and actually finishing it with a, a solid body check. Or you have, you know, Justin Hall and his newfound rage <laughs> just laying yeah. guys out in, in open ice. Like, that is going to have a, a wear and tear effect on the opposition forwards. It's an investment. It's an yes, investment, right? Exactly, like it's, it's, exactly. It's in a way that it can't be in the regular season where you're facing a new team every night. Like, the, every hit that you lay in game one is, you know, something that, that could, you know, cause an effect later in the series, whether it's, you know, wearing guys down or, or just kind of the, the, the mental toll it takes, Forcing knowing that you're getting play, bodied yeah. every single time that you touch the puck. Like, it's... We've it, seen it happen to the Leafs. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's been one of Lilligren's downfalls, right? If that, if there's anything to really criticize about Lilligren's game, it's that he's still a bit prone to that. Getting run you know, over. Fe- getting run over, but also like feeling that pressure of someone coming to run him over. Right. And it seems like that's where a lot of the, the panic decisions with the puck take place. And yeah, it, it's like you, you just you, you can't excuse those errors. Or I, I don't think Sheldon Keefe can justify that risk given what's on the line. I think that you can break down a lot of the personnel moves that the Leafs have made. It it really since the trade deadline and kind of leading up to it. And you could even say, you know, the last year or two overall, you can kind of break it down to like playoff players versus regular season players. And I don't think he's a guy who can't be a playoff player, but right now he feels a little bit more like a regular season player. And it's reasonable for him to need, you know, for a, a guy to not really break in and be a completely developed player as a defenseman until they're, you know, 24 or 25 years old. Like that's fine. That doesn't mean he's a bust. That doesn't mean they need to get rid of him. That's normal. No, if anything, they should be trying to sign him to a long-term deal this summer. Yeah, before he breaks out, right? Because he's got the tools and like we've seen him look extremely good this year. And and this type of like poise and, and, you know, learning how to maybe absorb contact or whatever it might be. I'm more comfortable with a guy figuring that out and his mid twenties, yeah. then all of a sudden getting the IQ part of the game that you know he he seems to have. So, yeah, not concerned. You know, to echo your point, like not concerned about him in a long term. But I'm definitely like like you said, Cam. Like I was not in the camp of thinking that he needed to come out of the lineup. And no, neither it's was been, I. It's been a merit. It's been a completely merit based thing. Like it yeah. really has. And it's hard. You know, even as a defender, like you can't look at that and say. Yeah, I feel more comfortable with him in the lineup than Luke Shen. Now that could change, you know, from a night to night basis in the in the playoffs. But yeah, I and think it if it starts will. tomorrow, Luke Shen's probably going in for me. And I and I think for and for Keith. You too. have a bad transition defense night against Tampa Bay and you know you it can all, see him in there. all of yeah. a sudden it yeah, it becomes a lot more appealing to throw Lilligren in there to try to break up some plays before they hit the opposing blue line, which he's really good at, and, and rather than, you know, getting getting torched through the neutral zone or whatever. So like it, it can change in a hurry. Well the other thing is the only reason that we're really even discussing this is because of the wealth of options that the Leafs do have on their blue line, right? Like, yeah. look around at at some of the other playoff teams. Hell, look, look, at, look Tampa. at Tampa. Ta- yeah, look at Tampa's blue That's line. That's not scary. And I, I think you could pretty safely say that if this started tomorrow and Timothy Lilligren was on the opposing roster, he'd be playing pretty significant minutes for them. So I think that just kind of speaks to the the depth that the Leafs have accumulated on the blue line. and And not just depth, but like varied depth you know what i mean like they have guys who can do different things back there it's just like you guys were just talking about if you're worried about you know withstanding the heavy four check and everything that comes along with that from tampa yeah luke shen is the option but if shen starts getting cooked off the rush then you know you have you're able to to pivot to lilligren and furthermore if you feel like you're not moving the puck up the ice or generating enough of an offensive push from the back end hell you can take out Justin Hall and put Eric Gustafson in it, like there's just there's a lot of options for Keith to to deploy here that i think it's it's just kind of a double edged sword where you know you can overthink that and you know maybe not put together the best lineup because of that wealth of options but uh, that said, I, I have faith that Keefe is using this time wisely to kind of just put all that together and have the the most information available to him to make the best informed decisions possible before th- those games get going. Yeah, part of the reason why I've had no issue with the kind of carousel that we've seen since the trade deadline, like 
this is the time to do it. Like they didn't have home ice wrapped up, you know, beyond, you know, anything, you know, happening. But like, I think they knew they weren't going to just all of a sudden go on a, you know, an absolute cooler because of, you know, changing up the the lineup and going 11 and seven and stuff like that. So like they're still going to win their games. This was the time to do it. It's largely just an audition for the playoffs since the trade deadline. Um, Not again, not that the games were meaningless, but you know, they, they, this is the time to, to do that. So I think, but what you are starting to see now is this is now two games in a row with the same six defensemen. And it just seems to be kind of clicking and making sense. Um, like McCabe and Brody as a pairing could potentially be the most comfortable I am, you know, I have been in, in my like adult life watching the Maple Leafs in terms of yeah. things happening. I think you've got to keep those two together. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, Keith. There's just such a, a, a feeling maybe, of, maybe bubble Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin was, was pretty good. Yeah, but yeah. other than that, yeah, it's yeah. No, I, I think that there's just such a, a feeling of security when those two guys are on the ice together. And it seems like their chemistry came together really quick. Um, again, that leads to the obvious question of, of who's going to play with Morgan Riley. Um, but I, I, we've said it so many times on the, on this show, Sheldon Keefe, you know, he knows how to run his bench. Him and Dean Chenoweth, like they're going to find minutes for the right guys. Maybe it won't always be with the same partner. Like you're you're looking at a, a pregame lineup where it's showing Riley and Shen a, as a pairing, but at the end of the night, Morgan Riley's played 20 minutes and Luke Shen's played 12. So, yeah. like, how much of a pairing are they really? Well, and, um, and just it, like even if like you say what you want to say about yeah, he's making seven and a half million dollars, but like if if you have to shelter him a little bit, that's fine. Like again, remove the cap. The capits don't matter in the playoffs. Like I don't care to have the whole like principal stance of like, well, he makes seven and a half million. He's got to be the guy and you shouldn't have to say, I don't care if you have to do it, you have to do it. And if that's playing him with Luke Shen and getting him out against, you know, third lines and stuff like that, go for it. He's still going to get his shifts. Like you're saying Nick. he's still going to get thrown out there with Matthews and Mariner, you know, at five on five, maybe with Brody for a couple of shifts a game, he's still going to get all his power play time. He could still be that effective offensive defenseman, but shelter him a little bit don't feed him to the wolves yeah. every night and play him 20 26 minutes you don't have to if you've got that mccabe and brody pairing right like right that's obviously who you're going to be throwing at is the most dangerous line you're facing uh you know shift after shift and then you've also got like the reliability of giordano and hall there as well who have you know they've both proven to be able to handle some difficult minutes in the past so yeah I- i'm with you like it-, it doesn't matter what the cap sheet says or what you know, a guy has done in the past conventional thinking about a seven and a half million dollar defenseman is that you, you shouldn't have to, you know, think about it that way, but who cares? No, you just, you, you take what's in front of you right now. You live in the moment. And if the moment says that the best thing to do is to play Morgan Riley and sheltered minutes, and that's what you do. We've uh, talked a lot lately about, you know, working out the different combinations, but also, you know, eventually stabilizing the lineup a bit as we get closer to the playoffs. Um, saw a stat on the Avs broadcast on Sunday. They had the most players dressed throughout the course of the season to that point with uh, 43. That was tied with the Leafs. And, and like the Avs have been fighting just to stay above the wild card this year. Leafs have been locked into home ice in the best division in the league. And, you know, the continuity is something that we talked about. But uh, on the whole, like they, they've they've cycled a lot of guys through and, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much of an effect it has to to have a, a little bit more stability going forward yeah well i think this this time is you know ever since the trade deadline one of the most important things about this and i i kind of mentioned it on last week's show you're trying to make everyone feel like part of this right now you know all the guys that you just brought in if that means running 11 and 7 to try and you know get those reps in for your eric gustafson's and luke shen's and, and you know at this point you're timothy lilligren's you you just you need everyone to be on the same page and you need everyone to be you know pulling on the same rope and I I just think that's been a, a kind of a uh, under discussed element of, of all the lineup shuffling over the last few weeks is just you know you're you're also trying to bring a team together and bond to the point where you're all you know striving for that same goal in unison and being able to trust the guy beside you on the bench and know that he's going to do his job to the best of his ability, just like you are. So uh, yeah, I've had no problem with the shuffling, but again, as we kind of talked about last week, 
there's only eight or nine games left now. It, it's definitely yeah, now's the time. It's definitely time to start tightening things up and just yeah, getting that continuity that you're talking about, Cam. Uh, I think that's something that's really important going into the playoffs. And I think it'll coincide with O'Reilly coming back too, because now the, all the pieces are yeah. there. You know, anything that you try to do before he gets there is kind of moot if if you got to redo it when he comes back. So, like, just even more of a reason why it was the time to to shuffle with, especially with with his injury and you know, with him yeah. kind of his return imminent. I think you're you're probably going to see maybe still another game or two of it being kind of shuffled around, but. I'm sure he's got he's got in the back of his mind what he wants to go with when when O'Reilly's back, and he kind of teased yeah. it anyways before he got hurt. With he was like, yeah, you know, John John's probably going to end up back at center at some point. So I think, you know, the the O'Reilly at uh, at third line center has always been the plan, and will likely probably be where he starts. You know, right when he gets back. Well, I mean, like, think about how much we talk about this stuff. <laughs> how much do you think those guys are talking about that stuff, right? <laughs> it's definitely not something they're going all willy-nilly with day by day. Uh, there, there's definitely a plan in place. And, uh, yeah, we just have to hope that this is the, the plan that uh, gets the job done. Uh, still unclear what the plan is for Matthew Nyes, who is in the... Uh, NCAA tournament right now uh, got through those those first two games Off to the frozen um, that, four. that first game was, was was a little tight to start and, and I, <laughs> I, I ducked out for like 20 minutes like and I came back turn. and it was <laughs> over yeah well that one you know I think uh, Minnesota was kind of starting to, to feel the pressure a little bit in that one uh, definitely a bit of a surprise uh, early in the second period when Canisius took a, a 2-1 lead um, but the the Gophers managed to to battle back and, and get out in front before the the second period ended. And then right at the beginning of the third period, uh, one of the Canisius players took a uh, five minute major for checking to the head. It, w- it was actually a pretty vicious hit. Um, so that put the Gophers on the power play for five minutes, and that was the end of the game there. So to yeah. to go from being down two one early in the second uh, and come away with a nine two victory. Uh, pretty impressive. Um, Leafs fans will obviously not love the fact that Matthew Nyes didn't manage to get on the score sheet in, in a nine-goal outing for his team, but I, I still thought that he had a pretty strong game, and it was more so uh, Minnesota's supporting cast that uh, that got a lot of the offense done in that game anyway. So, I mean, you, you're not going to go out there every night and pile up points, um, but uh, it would have been nice to see a little more production out of Nyes uh, over the weekend in, in those uh, couple of games. But uh, again, he was still very impactful and showing off all those skills that everyone's kind of drooling over in terms of the, the puck protection, the hands in tight, just being able to kind of turn nothing into something in the offensive end. So uh, yeah, he'll be, he'll be pushing for that national title in, a, in about a week and a half. Uh, it's going to be a, a long wait for Leafs fans now who are hoping to get a look at him in the Leafs lineup to close out the season. But uh, you know, I, I think... Playing in these high leverage games can only be a good thing for a young player who's getting ready to potentially step into a, a postseason series in the NHL. So, I mean, th- there's no there's no replicating that. But I think you know, playing for a national title at the NCAA level is uh, is a pretty decent facsimile. For so they it. beat St. Cloud State in the regional final, and then they uh, next stop here is uh, Boston University in the national semifinal, yeah. which is. On uh, April 6th, that is uh, next Thursday. So uh, they win that one, and then it's either Michigan or Quinnipiac. Well, Michigan. It's 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 going to be Michigan. Yeah, we, we might be looking at a, a rematch of that Big Ten uh, title game. Uh, just kind of speaks to the, the quality of that conference. Uh, there, there's a bit of a parallel there with the Atlantic Division in the NHL. Um, yeah, it's going to be some exciting hockey coming up to, to close out this NCAA season. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just like, I'm scrolling through Twitter these last few days and, you know, Matt Coronado signing with the Flames, Sean Farrell signing with the Habs. You've got all these guys, these big time prospects coming out of college hockey. And I just want that for us now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why, the, why the big wait between This rounds? is the killer, right? This is the killer because it's like if you would have lost one of those first two games, then, you know, you, you got him right away. But now, yeah, you just got to you got to wait. It's not like the NCAA basketball tournament where it's just guys get knocked off every two days. You know, you got a yeah. long layover here. It's killer. Well, now, for anyone who had been 
maybe cheering against uh, Minnesota for their own personal interests and having Nyes join the Leafs a bit ahead of schedule. Uh, you can kind of throw that out the window now because th- th- there's only two games remaining anyway, and they're they're going to take place a, a couple of days apart. So you know, even if uh, Minnesota ended up losing in the in the semifinal uh, against Boston, you you're not really gaining much uh, of anything in terms of time with the with the NHL club for Nyes. So you might as well just sit back and cheer for him to win a national title and, and be able to close out his college career on that note and, and just kind of step into the NHL brimming with confidence, I guess. Yeah. That was a, that was a bit of a, an oxymoron sentence, the way that I, I said that, brimming with confidence, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. I suppose you're right. That, that's uh, the life as a Leafs fan, I think. I've, I've felt all year. <laughs> Speaking of seeing other teams get their prospects signed, uh, Topi Niemela still has not indicated, um, you know, what, what's what's going to be happening, or the Leafs haven't indicated what will be happening with Topi Niemela as you see some of the other uh, Finnish, Finnish guys coming over. Uh, A couple from his team, actually. He's already signed, right? Yeah, already signed, was playing on loan. Uh, you know, that's the case with a lot of these high-end European prospects. They'll sign their NHL deal, get loaned back to their club team for a year or two. But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, considering that a couple of his teammates who are also NHL prospects have already come over since their season ended. Um, one of which being Billy Koivinen uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm starting to wonder if Finland might have plans to have Nimala on their team for the World Championships this spring. And maybe that's kind of throwing a wrench into things, but I, that's uh, complete speculation on my part. I don't have any kind of inside information or sources on, on Topi Nimala's uh, situation here moving forward. But I, I would think that we'd get some kind of clarity on that very soon. Yep, we look forward to that. Hey, you guys want to remember a leaf? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got a new segment, and it did not die. <laughs> After one episode, <laughs> you guys remember Nicholas Hagman? Hell yeah, I do. Uh, Finnish winger. I was psyched when they signed Hagman. Yeah, signed, signed by the Leafs in 08, traded as part of the FNUF deal uh, midway through his second season with Toronto. And um, a couple of reasons I, I wanted to bring him up. I scrolled through his hockey reference actually the other day as I was, uh, as I was preparing for this, and I noticed a uh, a couple of notable names under the similarity score, one of them being Matt Stajan, who was, of course, part of that trade to Calgary. And uh, the other one, Cali Yarncroak. Yeah. I think I think somebody did say really? that to me on Twitter, actually. That's yeah. funny. That that was honestly the, the kind of the... Uh, I, I was getting some Nicholas Hagman vibes a little bit, and I think that's all it was off of Yarncroak, and I, I decided to, to, to roll with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I almost feel like he was he was a Leaf longer than, than he actually was. He had a pretty short turn, but, um, you know, he, he it, it's funny, like, you know, he was a hard-nosed guy, he had a bit of skill, and, like, those teams were so bad, that was just, like, that's all you needed. That was your prereq. Like, you, you got a bit of skill and you'll actually give a shit when you're out there welcome to power play one uh (laughs) he scored 22 in his first year and 20 in his second year uh first year that was good for third in goals on the team and second despite the fact that he was traded in january uh he still finished second in goal scoring on that team. So gives you a little bit of context. I've blocked some of those years out of my memory. So Hagman was out of the league by 2012. Um, and he actually played like that first season out of the NHL. He went to the KHL and he played for a, a locomotive, a Yaroslavl. That was the season after the plane crash. Okay. Um, so I thought, thought that was interesting when I was scrolling through his uh, his pages, and uh, then he played the rest of his career in Finland, and of course, uh, they had a Finnish team in the KHL for a little bit, so he was like between the KHL and Liga, and then retired in 2017. It's only a couple of years since they that they stopped that, the uh, yeah. Jokerit-Jukerit thing, they, like they, they still had Jokerit in the Finnish league, but they also had Jokerit who I, like I'm not up on my Finnish geography, but I can only assume that's from the 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 same town. Just to change up the spelling a little bit. That had them in the KHL. That's actually where. Uh, speaking of remembering Leafs, Miko Leitinen was uh, was a member of that team before he uh, signed on with the Leafs for what uh, seemed like a very brief period. 
before he was shipped off to to Columbus. But yeah, kind of full circle there. All right, there you go. We're gonna have to engage the audience with this segment. I think. <laughs> yeah, you, you could. They can send in their their remember leaf options. I'm I'm enjoying digging through hockey reference old terror fucking box scores. You can't hurt me anymore. It's it's been all right. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to uh, give a quick shout out to the Toronto Six as well, uh, winning the PHF title. Um, First one. In overtime. Yeah. Teresa Venisova uh, got got the winner. Real real puck don't lie kind of goal. Uh, do you guys see it? It was it was like yeah, a, kind of winning the battle. Missed hook on the on the, yeah. uh, on the, uh, the kind of breakaway, and then immediately afterwards, you know, no call. And uh, yeah, she she just strips her trying to trying to break kinda it out, squeaked it in yeah, there. Nice shot. Yeah. Yeah. Great shot. Yeah. Ripped it under. That was a big moment for for the the six. That's their their first title, uh, their first Isabel Cup. So you know, hopefully, just the the start. Uh, of uh, a bit of a dynasty if they can keep it going into next year it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the the professional women's hockey picture over the next couple of years you know there's starting to be some more rumblings that the pwhpa is getting things cooking with uh, with their own league so you know we might be back to to two official leagues uh, again here soon um I, I just i just hope that they're able to to figure it out and kind of get things under one umbrella you know for for the overall good of the women's game and uh, you mentioned dynasties keith we haven't had an opportunity to talk about uh, the chicago bears trading the first overall pick <laughs> feels pretty good <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the package because dj moore uh really really kind of changes the perception you know you knew it was going to be a hall of picks but uh, dj moore that that's a guy i know that guy <laughs> i mean yeah he's a legitimate he's had 1100 yards three or four times or something like that and with absolutely nobody throwing him the ball, right? So it's not like he's a product of his quarterbacks or anything like that. So, yeah, exciting guy to get. I think the Hall is is I think for the stuff I was reading beforehand, it was like you know you can maybe get a third first round pick um, for trading in a, in a quarterback heavy draft with so many people needing quarterbacks, and they they didn't but they got DJ Moore. So like that's like that's worth it to me, right? If you look at some of the trades for big time receivers around the NFL the last few years, I mean I mean that's that's pretty much on par with the, I think the value he's got of four years of pick. control too. Yeah, that, I think that's he's got huge. Four, and, and this year the cap hits heavy, but then I think it goes down like pretty reasonable. So that's important too because they have a shit ton of cap space this year, so it doesn't really matter if one year is heavy up front. Um yeah, it seems like, you know, you, you probably aren't getting a better deal than that. I think I saw something about, you know, the equivalent of that would have been if potentially you do it with the Colts and you get Pittman. But like Pittman hasn't had, I mean, he's younger, obviously, but he hasn't had that kind of production that Moore's had. So it's a bit more of a question mark and he's still only 25. So yeah, yeah huge, very exciting trade. I think you look at, you know, what was arguably the worst wide receiver room in the league last year, um, especially when Mooney got hurt to one that's you know formidable like it's i'm not gonna sit here and say it's like top whatever but you know claypool and he didn't have a great end of the year but he's he got a legit number one you have you have more as a number one and then you have two guys that can do two different things like you have that big target with the big radius and claypool and then you have mooney's speed so it's it's like all the makings of what it you know what you want in in terms of like different pieces but yeah it's exciting the and worst thing they could have done was go and get like another guy like that level you needed someone to push yeah, them down exactly. right like in, in order to yeah. make this work and uh, so what do you think now like they move back to nine do, do they make that pick or, or do they move back again because i feel like i've seen a little bit of buzz that they might might trade that one too my prediction is if one of the edge rushers fall to nine they take them and if they don't they move back because i think it's polls is already like I don't know. Like, I think he's, he probably feels more comfortable with this draft. And this is all just based off of what I've read, but getting the O line pieces in the second and third round, as opposed to one of the, the, the first life, they still have holes. Like they still have a lot of holes. They still have a lot of need. Um, so yeah, if you can turn that number nine into a later first and a, and a second and maybe another second next year, like, I don't know what, what that would even look like to trade back from nine. But if you start adding more assets and even, and even look at it as more trade capital too, potentially, cause there's going to be teams that are going to be squeezed, you know, um, coming into training camp cap wise and they're, they have all the cap space in the world. So if they can pluck a guy, um, well, and if you're getting future picks, you're also 
also looking forward to you know next season's draft. If you're loading up with more draft capital, that also gives the, the Bears the ability to maybe move up in next year's draft if there's someone they're really targeting that's uh, above their slotted pick too, right? So they're doing yep. a lot of good things. Yeah, just keep adding capital. Yeah, keep adding capital. Uh, I'm like I'm very much not a Bears fan, but also very excited about everything that they've been doing this offseason uh, aside from maybe signing Tremaine Edmonds yeah. away from the Buffalo Bills they gave him a, a shit ton of money obviously an amount that the the Bills were never going to be able to match but you guys got a player there he's just he's going to take away a lot in the middle of that field defensively man like there's not a whole lot of uh, six foot five 200 and 50 whatever pound middle linebackers around so like th- that uh, that wingspan and that radius for Defending the passing game, that, that's going to be a, a, a big addition for you guys, I think. It, it, yeah, and Eberflus did come out today and say that he's going to be the, the Mike linebacker, so he will be the yeah. one in the middle of the field, which makes a ton of sense. And He, know, he was the Mike linebacker for the Bills when he was 19 years old. Man. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So so you guys are getting this guy on his first you know free agent deal, and he's still only 25 24. years old? Yeah, 24, 20, 25. Yeah, yeah, turning 25 soon, I believe. But uh, that, that one definitely hurt. Uh, as a Bills fan, watching him walk out the door, it kind of seemed like a foregone conclusion anyway. So I will say I was kind of happy to, to, to see him go to, to your guys' squad if he wasn't going to be staying with mine. Well, it gets him out of the conference too, which is probably <laughs> yeah, a good thing. Yeah, there's also that. But yeah, yeah. no, I think, I think Cam, though, to answer your question, I think it's, it's really going to depend because I think edge rusher is one of those things that like it's so important and they don't have anything that if they can get one of those like top 10 edge rusher guys, they'll, they'll probably do that. But other than that, I can see them moving back. Clearly we are due for a Patreon episode. We got some <laughs> stuff to discuss. Hey, the, we didn't uh, even get to talk about the blue Jays here. We're running short on time. That's true. Yeah, I know that's it. Well, we'll get to them. Uh, seasons kicking off. So that'll be underway probably by the time we get to do that. Uh, just up to my fucking eyeballs in college basketball <laughs> the last few weeks. I'm like, I almost feel like I'm, I'm I'm doing a disservice if I don't say something about it, you know, even though I picked Purdue to win and they got fucking ousted in embarrassing fashion in the first round. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I also want to talk about the fucking McPoyle brothers of the NHL there, uh, Reimer and the Sauls. Do you you guys watch Always Sunny? I just started. I got the the reference, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I want to talk about that too. Anyone Um, who has seen the show is probably laughing right now too. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that's, uh, all, all in, in the offings, but, um, heading down the stretch here, uh, good chat fellas. We'll, we'll do it again soon. Go Leafs. Go Leafs. Go. Leafs.